What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Liberty lovers, and welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast, the only libertarian variety show out there where you got not only me every single Monday doing interviews and sometimes, well, sometimes debates like the one you're going to hear today. You also get Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday bringing you his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, and John Odie Odermatt wrapping things up every single Friday with Felony Friday, his hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system. That's why you got to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a damn thing. And I do want you guys to know that this is the 348th episode of this program, which means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 348. Now, a select group of you have already heard today's show because you are our great supporters, our members of the Lions of Liberty Pride who donate to us on Patreon. Again, you can check that out at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. We're just pumping out tons of bonus content. And not only that, but your contributions will help send us to cover the culmination of what you're going to hear today in the debate between three of the leading candidates for the chairmanship of the Libertarian Party, I'm really excited to bring this to you. Without further ado, let's get ready to roar. All right, Lions, I've got a very special show for you today. I've got three of the leading candidates for the chairmanship of the Libertarian National Committee who are all vying for this position to be decided at the upcoming Libertarian National Convention in New Orleans, where myself and my colleague, John Odermatt, thanks to our amazing Patreon supporters, the members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, we will be attending the Libertarian National Convention to bring you live coverage of that event. But first, I wanted to invite uh, these three candidates on the show to discuss their vision for the Libertarian Party. And uh, we're going to start by bringing in the current chairman of the Libertarian National Committee. He's also running as uh, a campaign for the mayor of Phoenix, Arizona. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show, Nicholas Sarwark. Nick, are you ready to roar? I'm ready to roar. Did I say your last name right? You did. You're awesome. <laughs> All right. We had a little little talk before the show about how to pronounce Nick's last name. But <laughs> um, Next up, he is one of the founders of Think Liberty. He is a Region 5 representative for the Libertarian Party of Washington State. And of course, he is now a candidate for the chairmanship of the Libertarian Party. Pleased to welcome back Joshua Smith. Joshua, are you ready to roar? Mark, I'm always ready. I figured, I figured. And uh, lastly, but certainly not least, she is a trial lawyer who has served as Gary Johnson's general counsel in his 2012 and 2016 campaigns. She also ran for the vice presidential nomination of the Libertarian Party in 2016. I'm very pleased to welcome back once again, Miss Alicia Dern. Alicia, are you ready to roar? Bring it on. (laughs) All right. Everybody is ready, and uh, I'm ready, too. I know our audience is ready to hear you guys talk about your vision for the Libertarian Party. Um, so let's get right to it. And I'm going to start with sort of a two-part question for each candidate. I'm not putting any real time limits on this, but, you know, this is just sort of an intro question. So try to keep it somewhat brief, between maybe three and five minutes maximum. But uh, basically what I want to know is, what do each of you believe should be the role of the chairman of the Libertarian National Committee, and why are you the best person to fill that role? I will start with the man who is currently the chairman himself. Nick, take it away. 
So the, the role of national chair in the Libertarian Party um, is a little different than it is in the other two national political parties. We are not as top-down or centrally controlled as the Republicans or the Democrats are. Uh, we have bylaws that very specifically elevate the state and local parties above the national committee um, that prohibit the national committee from interfering with how states run their business. Uh, it's more like the Articles of Confederation than, say, a strong central government. And recognizing the limitations of that role is one of the key things to being a successful national chair. Uh, there, I've, I've watched over the last nearly 20 years I've been involved in the party, many national chairs try to, to set out their vision for what should happen and make that happen by kind of force of will. It doesn't usually go well. What happens is libertarians being a just naturally contrarian and fractious bunch, they cut you off at the knees and the bylaws are built by the delegates at convention to cut that off at the knees. So I think the key to be national chair is recognizing the limitations of the position and recognizing that a lot of what we talk about in government with libertarianism, where you have to persuade instead of being able to, you know, impose laws on people is the same thing that, that happens internally. You have to get consensus from groups of people that oftentimes disagree on a lot of stuff in order to move the ball down the field for this overall um, goal that we have of a world set free in our lifetime. So that's kind of my vision for what the national chair should be. I had the advantage of seeing a lot of people do it uh, not as effectively. And so that's kind of what I bring to the table there. All right. And uh, we'll move to uh, Alicia Dern next. Alicia, how do you see the role of the chairmanship of the Libertarian Party and why should you be the one to be taking it? Well, I think that the role is a facilitating role, but I think it's also a cheerleading and motivational role. And what I mean by that is that uh, I, I think there's a morale problem with the party. I've seen it, you know, off and on over years. I don't think it's like some kind of crisis right now that's worse than the past, but we have a limited amount of donors. We have a limited amount of volunteers and people burn out of this party. And we have to as uh, leaders in the party, whether it's chair or other leaders, you have to go out there and you have to convince everybody to get back out there one more time, knock on more doors, petition one more time, run another campaign, ask again for money. And it's a uh, it's hard work. And, you know, so I think the role of the chair right now is that we've got some really great opportunities and we need to be uh, fired up and firing up our party to get out there and run some great races. So like for right now, for example, I am uh, sitting in a hotel room in Crete, Nebraska. I am uh, working on uh, Laura Epke's campaign. Actually, the results are coming in right now. It uh, looks like she's in first place, but not with as big a lead as we'd hope. So hopefully that will uh, turn out a little bit better. But, you know, uh, the, the, the campaign was well run, and this is an important campaign for uh, the party to prove that we can have libertarians, people who come over to our party, be reelected. And, uh, you know, there were volunteers, but there were not enough volunteers. There were not enough people, not enough boots hitting the ground. And I think uh, a really uh, key thing that the LMC needs to be doing and the chair as uh, a leader of the LMC is really rallying people to come out to these key races and to, these, and to pursuing our key goals. 
So uh, I think that uh, I'm the right person for this job uh, simply because I've got the energy to get back out there and do it. Uh, it's a, a brush of uh, a breath of fresh air, so to speak. Uh, Mr. Sarwark's done a great job uh, in a lot of respects over the years, but uh, he's served ter two terms. No chair has ever served more than two terms in the history of the LMC. I think there's a reason for that. I think that uh, you get bogged down with uh, internal politics and with criticism. And so it's good to have a rotation of leadership just to uh, breathe some new energy into the party. All right. And uh, last up, Joshua, why don't you lay out your vision of what the chairmanship should be and why it should be yours? Thank you, Mark. Uh, yeah, so I think there's a lot of merit to what both Nicholas and Alicia said. Um, I believe personally and and from traveling around the country and talking with our delegates and our, our activists and our party leaders um, that the chair should be there to find innovative ways and hardworking ways to make a base for our candidates, create a more successful base for the candidates, for our state and local leaders. <clears throat> I think that that should be the most important focus of the chair and more broadly, the LNC. Um, I think that what I bring to the table is a new vision for the party, um, a new direction, uh, more focus on things that are um, going to help in modern politics, such as, you know, technology and new candidate support. I think I think it's really good that, you know, Nick and, and the LNC brought in two candidate support specialists and, and started a candidate support um, committee. I think it's really good, but I think we should have 10 of them. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I really have laid out a plan. Um, for the party. And it's all based on what I've heard from, you know, our delegates and our members and our activists around the country, you know, tomorrow or tonight I leave for Ohio and it will be my 16th state in the last 18 weeks. You know, I, I've shaken the hands of, of the people who matter the most to this party and that's our activists and all the vision that I've laid out, the things that I want to accomplish, the blueprint that I've given to people, that all comes from the delegates. That all comes from the people that I've spoken with face to face. And so I think that makes me best prepared to lead our party to a more successful future. All right. And uh, before I move on to pride questions, did, did anybody hear anything in, in those those answers that they'd like to respond to? I mean, I know Nick and, and Joshua, you kind of have different visions there. I mean, do you have any thoughts about Nick's uh, what Nick said about, you know, imposing your vision upon the party and how that that usually doesn't work out? Do you do you think that that is, you know, that you having such a grand vision of what you want to see doesn't, you know, quite necessarily jive with the role of, of the chair as facilitator as, as sort of Nick and Alicia both seem to see it? I think that, you know, this, this vision didn't come from me. This, you know, this isn't just what I want to see. This is what I've heard, you know, our, our hardest working uh, party members want to see. And these are, you know, these are the things that I've been listening to for the last four months uh, from our membership. And, and so that's not from me. And I, I will fight to make sure that those things happen. I think they're really important. And, and I think that it's going to help facilitate a more successful party for our members. So yeah, I want to see those things happen. I'm going to fight to make sure they get done. But, um, that doesn't come from me. <laughs> you know, that all came from them. All right. So we are going to dive right into questions from the Lions of Liberty Pride. I'll try to mix up the order a little bit to keep things interesting here. Uh, but the first question comes from Dan Roberts. Dan asks, what do you think the role of the state parties are? What is the proper relationship between the state parties and the national parties? Uh, we'll start with Alicia this time. Uh, the role of the state parties is to run the libertarian organization at the state and local level. Uh, you know, we need to have good ground game at the local level in as much of the United States as possible. Uh, I agree uh, that it's not a top-down organization. I think that that's not really debatable based on how the uh, the Libertarian Party is set up, but it shouldn't be. You know, you, one person or a group of 
uh, 12 or 20 people at the top cannot run an entire organization across this country. In order for us to really make the change that we want to see, we have to have people uh, on the ground building uh, their organizations, running candidates, uh, talking to the media, converting their neighbor neighbors at every level of government in this country. And so the state parties is about organizing their states and then, of course, affiliating as many counties as they can. And the counties is about the, the boots on the ground act activism. Uh, we are all supposed to be working together uh, as a group. We're, you know, to use a metaphor, I mean, we're like a like an ant colony or a beehive. I mean, we're supposed to be working together. One part of it doesn't work without the rest of us being very active uh, and running together. All right. Uh, we'll go to Joshua next. Yeah, I, I agree mostly with Alicia. I, I think that, you know, the state and local affiliates are definitely our ground game. Those are the people who go out every day. They're the ones who talk to people face to face. They're the ones who help run candidates. And and I think the relationship there should be, a, a, you know, a close relationship with the National Party to the point of where the National Party should exist to help um, enable those state affiliates and help enable those local affiliates. I don't I don't think there should be any huge top-down pressure for their own, you know, state's politics as every state is different um, unless we're going to run, you know, I've talked pretty heavily about doing viral marketing campaigns, something that we haven't really done a whole lot of as a national party. You know, I would love to see the states get on board with that kind of stuff. But like I said, it, you know, it shouldn't be a, like Nick said, it shouldn't be a top-down, you know, push on states kind of situation. But we should be there to enable and help them. Uh, you know, when they come to us and ask us, how do we do this? We should be there to, to tell them, uh, you know, we should be finding creative ways to help their candidates, uh, creative ways to help their their activism. And so I think that that's where the relationship breakdown currently is between states and nationals and national. I think we can really change that going forward. All right. And finally, Nick, you have uh, been the one facilitating a lot of uh, this on the national level already. So uh, how do you see the role of the state parties and, and their interaction with the national party? Of the candidates for chair, I am the one who's previously served in leadership in two state parties. So I have some pretty strong opinions about whether or not the national party should interfere with how state parties run their stuff. Um, I used to be the guy in the state party saying national sucks and they need to get out of here. So what I've done over the last two terms is try and build out um, capabilities and resources for those state parties that choose to use them. Things like uh, bringing on Andy Burns as a full-time affiliate support person uh, and one of the projects he's spearheading this state CRM for state parties to be able to do that nuts and bolts, voter touch, voter ID, getting out the vote kind of stuff that real political parties do. Um, our candidate support people are working with the state parties and those state parties that want the assistance but not trying to force something top down from national. We have lpaction.org, which is just a, a huge resource for candidates and activists in the states to give them the tools they need to be as effective as they can be. The idea in the Libertarian Party is for a long time, we used to have a fight of should you leave your dollars in your state party or should you give them to the national party? And that's based on some faulty assumptions that somehow there's a limited amount of dollars out there. I think having vibrant and effective state parties elevates the national party. I think having a vibrant and effective national party elevates the state parties. I think that it, at its best, that is a cooperative relationship. You know, the delegates at convention define the relationship between the national party and the state party and specifically prohibit the national party from 
interfering in the autonomy of a state affiliate. However, we've been able to foster a much more functional and healthy relationship between the national party and the state parties over the last two terms than I've seen over the, you know, probably 15 years before that. All right. And uh, we'll move on to the next question. As I move on to the next question, you, you can just all know that if you want to say something else about anything anybody said that you can you know butt in at that time. But uh, if nobody else has anything to add on, on that issue, I will move on. I actually want to add something. So absolutely. You know, I, I have to tell you, I, I ran the, the San Diego County Party and I had exactly that feeling about the state. Like I didn't want the state butting in and telling me what to do at the county level. Uh, so certainly I respect that point of view, but what, uh, in that particular situation, the, the San Diego County party had, uh, really not had a functioning relationship with the count the, the state of California's party for at least a decade. And, uh, with the turnover and leadership with, with me coming in as well as some turnover and leadership in California, we were able to, uh, heal that relationship. So the part, the, the County and the state can start working together again. And there's still some bad blood that you see between the various states and national. I'm aware of, uh, several states where that's uh, been, uh, expressed to me. And I think that it's important to continue to work on those relationships. I think that relationship building is extremely important because, again, that is how we get stuff done. Uh, it's not about doing things by fiat. It is by do, it's about doing things cooperatively. Anybody else want to add something there? Josh, you have anything? Nope, I'm okay. Thank you. All right. I'm going to move on to a question. Uh, this one comes from Brock William Fickenshire. And Brock wants to know, how would you change the messaging of the Libertarian Party to entice those newer to our philosophy to join while still providing a quote-unquote pure message? And I guess I would add to that if you even feel that it is a, a role that, that the chairman should be involved with. Uh, we'll go back to starting with Nick here. Uh, so the question is, how would we change the message to get new people involved? Is that yeah, I guess he's asking. Yeah, that basically how how would you change, or maybe you wouldn't change the the way that the Libertarian Party puts out his messages to get new people into the party while maintaining what I guess whatever your vision of what a pure message should be. I know that kind of differs from person to person. Yeah, so the delegates at convention are the ones who define what the message of the Libertarian Party is. They adopt the platform, and that platform is the the lodestar for what. The Libertarian Party stands for. Uh, it's very different from other political parties in this country. Our platform actually means something, and we have candidates who stand up for it. The change in messaging that can happen from the national office, you can't change what it means to be a libertarian, right? Like, you can't say, hey, a bunch of people want to build a wall, and so we're going to go out and talk about restricting immigration when the platform says, people should be able to move freely without government interference. What you can do is you can try and relate that platform back to things that are topical in the media, things that are topical in the country. You can adjust based on who's in power in either the presidency or in Congress so that you're you're speaking to the right people. Um, as a strategic matter, it's difficult to get Republicans to join the Libertarian Party when they control all three branches of government. There aren't a lot of defectors available. It's better to fight against the power that's there. Uh, it creates a clearer message. So you have to be able to shift as far as what you're talking about. But as far as changing the party's message to attract different or new people, that's 
assuming that that's actually the chair's role, that the chair gets to decide what a new member looks like. And that I don't think is appropriate for a chair to do, to decide these people with these particular views are the most important people to recruit. I think that it's up to the delegates and convention to decide what they want the platform to say, what things are important enough to be enshrined in the platform. Um, and so that's kind of the answer to that. So, so you would say overall that that that's that idea of messaging and attracting certain types of people is basically outside the role of the chairmanship. It is uh, a, outside of, you know, obviously part of growing the party is recruiting people. And so you need to identify messages that resonate with certain target audiences and who are good prospects and who are bad prospects. But that's a data driven process, right? We run direct mail, we run online advertising, we do various things to prospect members. And so we have data that says, you know, this group of people is good, and they tend to join at a higher rate than this other group of people. But no, I don't think that the the national office should be deciding how to shape the party or who who should be part of the party or who we're going to try and bring in and who we're going to try and make feel unwelcome. Joshua, you want to give your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Nick's kind of missing the point of the question here. Um, for me, I'm kind of having flashbacks to a conversation that Nick and I had once where Nick uh, indicated that um, a growing membership is not in what was it? It's not indicative of uh, success for the party. And I believe that that's heavily false. Um, I believe there's 60% of, of the population currently is not voting in this country. And, um, those are the people that want a third party. Those are the people who are not happy with the two old parties. And, and, you know, the messaging from national has been inconsistent to say the least, <laughs> you know, we have the upper echelon of leadership. One of them is trying to inflame people as much as possible, push people away from the party. One of them puts out memes, you know, applauding a student walkout uh, to take away our gun rights. You know, we have to find a consistent, principled message. It doesn't have to be a centrist message, but we can't constantly try to pander to the old parties. We can't be inflammatory and push people away from our causes because we're trying to build a base. We're trying to get more membership. And there's a lot of people out there that are staring at us right now. So I think if we can just find a really consistent message you know, that, that stays true to our platform, stays true to our principles, but doesn't pander and doesn't inflame, I think we'll, we'll really see a big growth that we're not used to. Nick, just since you were mentioned there, do you want to respond to anything Joshua said? Yeah, I don't recall ever saying that I don't think it's a good idea for the party to be growing. Uh, I may have said, and I do believe, that a membership metric is not a good metric for a political party. You know, I'm sitting here looking at results out in Nebraska, and it doesn't count Libertarian Party members. It counts votes for one of our elected officials. So votes and voter registration are the metric that matter for a political party and money. Uh, the membership model, the idea that this is some sort of club is one of the things that I think has served its purpose and it's time to grow up past. But I, I don't think I've ever said that I don't think the party should be growing. All right, we'll let you guys respond some more at the end if there's anything you want to expand upon. I just want to make sure we get Alicia's answer in. So, Alicia, how do you feel about this question of when it comes to messaging of the Libertarian Party and, and I guess what really the chairman's role would play in that as well? Well, I agree that the platform is the platform. I actually don't think that the platform is that startling or offensive, really. I mean, it's been carefully worded over the years and in some ways even worded 
uh, to, to be a little bit watered down on a few of the, the prongs uh, so as to not be offensive and so as to be welcoming and inviting to people and to get them to understand what we mean by the non-aggression principle. So uh, obviously the platform is a platform. I think we stick with it. I certainly wouldn't want to start uh, running around saying something that I don't agree with, like, you know, that uh, libertarians support war or something like that, which we clearly we don't. Uh, the role of the chairman in this, though, it, well, first, there's two things. One is uh, I'm glad to hear that we are doing things that are data driven. I think we should expand that a little bit to not just what sells to people as far as sending out direct mailing. Because I think uh, from what I've seen, the direct mailing is to getting people to renew their memberships. And naturally, I'm as a member, I might not see uh, direct mailing outside of that. But uh you know, we do need to, I do think we need to be expanding the party to other members, to other voters, more importantly, to other voters. Uh, and we can do that through looking at what kind of issues resonate well with the American people, what kind of issues um, are things that we can jump on and create opportunity out of. Now, uh, I, I'm going to get a little uh, out in left field here a minute, but um, all politics is local. I'm not sure you've heard that before. And so, the LNC's messaging is going to be necessarily different than the messaging that uh, is going to be given by a local candidate, like messaging by Laura Epke, for example. She might not be out there talking about Syria. You know, she's talking about things that matter to farmers in Nebraska because those are the people she represents. Uh, but what we have as the chair of the party, as the LNC and as the national face of the party, is a soapbox that gets uh, a certain level of uh, national media attention. And that's where our opportunity is to craft our message uh, using data and using just good guerrilla marketing tactics to say things that uh, pique the interest of independents or people who are libertarian curious. I think I wouldn't necessarily just go after people who don't vote. I'd really go after people who um think like libertarians, are interested in the libertarian party, but don't vote libertarian because they think libertarians cannot win. And we need to be showing them professionalism and how we speak uh, with our messaging uh, in order to get them to actually start investing in the party. All right. And um, does anybody want to add anything on this subject? I just wanted to drop a little saying here because I still have a really big problem with what Nick said about membership not being a driving indicator of success. Would you not say that those members are the ones who become activists for us. Um, you know, we're, we have this goal of running 2000 candidates across the country and we barely have enough volunteers for 500 candidates. Um, people outside of the membership of this party don't typically become hardcore activists for this party. You know, they don't typically go and run for office as libertarians. It's almost always people who are members of this party. So I believe very heavily that membership is a driving indicator of success for us. And it's going to be what helps our activists and our party grow. And do you want to respond to that, Nick? Yeah. Um, so I understand Joshua has a different view of this, uh, and it may be from a lack of experience. Having run a full slate of candidates in Colorado and currently running a race in Phoenix and helped candidates run, elections and candidates running for office drive membership. Membership does not drive elections. We do not get our activists from pursuing members. We get our activists from having them be active on campaigns. And had Mr. Smith continued with his state house campaign, he would have a ton more volunteers who would have gotten involved because they would have been inspired by his message and he would have had a shot to win there. And uh, I'll let you respond to that, Josh, since you were also mentioned there as well. Well, I mean, I've, I've inspired, I've inspired hundreds of people around the nation currently with my chair can candidacy and got them involved, but uh, they, they weren't touching the party prior to this due mostly to messaging. So uh, that's all I need to say.
All right, we can move on now. Um, this is sort of an interesting premise here. Uh, William Wells at, brings up a question, and I don't know if this has been a topic around uh, the Libertarian Party or not, but he asks if any of you support a bylaw of a, a time-in-the-party requirement to prevent last-minute presidential ticket additions. I don't know if this is referring to anyone specific, but I guess uh, maybe that is a concern of people just entering the party at the last minute to make a name for themselves or what have you that you know may, may, might not have been very active previously. So uh, quickly, do any of you have any thoughts on that we can start with uh, alicia yeah i actually do have thoughts on this um you know uh, it's something that we've all uh, many of us who've been in the party for a long time have noticed that we are vulnerable to people coming in and uh packing a delegation uh or running for president or vice president without having long been in the party and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing really depends i guess on the situation at the time um I have not seen any uh, proposed language that I would get behind because of uh, my concern about unintended consequences. However, uh, I would certainly look very thoughtfully at anything that is proposed because uh, I would want to make sure that the party that I have invested so many years and so much money of mine into remains true to the beliefs that I have uh, and that we are represented in that way. So uh, I guess that's a roundabout way of saying I, I hypothetically would support uh, something like that, but I have yet to see any proposals that I think are workable. All right, uh, Joshua, thoughts on a, a time in the party requirement to prevent last minute presidential tickets? Yeah, so I haven't seen any proposed bylaws for that either, but I, it's something I would definitely um, entertain supporting. And, you know, that that really falls on the delegates anyways. They need a two thirds vote for a, for a bylaws change. But yeah, I would, I would definitely like to see our presidential nominee uh, running on a completely libertarian uh, platform. And so, yeah, I would definitely like to make sure that they're going to, you know, spout our ideals and our, our policies and our principles when they're, you know, going around the country in front of national media and running for president or vice president. Absolutely. And uh, Nick, any thoughts on that? So having attended the last eight national conventions and watched the bylaws and platform debates carefully and been involved in a lot of them, the delegates of the Libertarian Party typically do not like being told what they can't do. So whenever people come up with a bylaw that says, you can't nominate someone for president unless they sign some sort of contract, or you can't nominate someone from president unless they've been in the party for a particular period of time, or you can't do X or you can't do Y, the delegates at convention are very mistrustful of the bylaws proposals that would take away their power. Um, we've, we've seen it when we've tried to do slates. We've seen it when we've tried to do longer LNC terms. They, they are not, they're libertarians. They're naturally skeptical of centralized power. And so anything that smacks of a rule that would take their power away from them is probably dead on arrival and unlikely to get any sort of two thirds vote. I trust the delegates. You know, we had an argument inside the national office in going into the 2016 convention where there were staff members who thought we shouldn't put up on the website candidates for the presidential nomination who didn't have a lot of support or who were seen as too wacky or crazy or whatever. And I pushed back against that and said, you know, everyone has a voice. Everyone has an opportunity. We're going to have an open field for this nomination. And I trust the delegates in convention 
to make good choices for the Libertarian Party. All right. I don't think there's anything terribly controversial there, so we can probably move on. If anyone wants to butt in uh, while I tee up the next question, feel free to. Uh, But otherwise, I'm going to move on to... Let's kind of change directions a little bit. This question is from Joey Meyer, and he asked an interesting question. He wants to know what each of you think of the Ron Paul movement of 2008-2012. Now, that that might might seem like a toss-up for Libertarians, um, but the second part of that question is and whether it brought people to the Libertarian Party. Because as we all know, Ron Paul always ran as a Republican, uh, many people were inspired by him, but what effect did that have when it comes to the party itself? Uh, Nick, we'll let you start. So the Ron Paul movement of 08 and 12 was something I watched very carefully. Um, I was very sympathetic to Ron Paul having been our, our 1988 nominee and probably the most libertarian member of Congress ever. It did bring a lot of people to the Libertarian Party. I run into libertarians on a daily basis who said that they ended up in the Libertarian Party because they got excited about Ron Paul and they realized that the Republican Party that he was a member of did not actually reflect the views that he had, that he was constantly an outsider in his own party. And if they wanted to make change, they had to move to a party that actually allowed them to find their voice. You know, one of the saddest things to watch in 08 and 2012 was state parties and national conventions silencing the democratically elected voice of these Ron Paul delegates by shenanigans and, and, you know, backroom deals. So there's no doubt that Ron Paul has brought lots of people to the Libertarian Party. The question is, where do we go from there? Ron Paul is not seeking political office again. He has run for president in 88 as a Libertarian and in 08 and 2012 as a Republican Since 1988, he has not endorsed a libertarian candidate other than himself. He has endorsed over 30 Republican candidates in that period of time. So it's not that I would in any way deny the idea that people come in through the Ron Paul movement and that's their gateway drug to the Libertarian Party. But there's a question of where does that movement go where do they go other than the Libertarian Party? There are no Libertarian Republicans standing up. And at this point, the Republican Party is doing everything they can to cut the knees out from any Republicans that show Libertarian tendencies. And it leads to weird stuff like, you know, Rand Paul supporting Mike Pompeo. I mean, bad stuff happens when you join the Republican Party. All right. So, uh, Joshua, your thoughts on the Ron Paul campaign as it relates specifically to the Libertarian Party? Yeah, I have. I've made it no secret that I came to Liberty and and further to the Libertarian Party through Ron Paul. I mean, he was what brought me here. I rallied really behind, really hard behind him in 2008, 2012. Um, I believe that it did bring many people to the party. I think there's I mean, you meet a lot of Ron Paul Libertarians and that are members of these state affiliates. And, and, you know, they've stayed and they're they're helping the Libertarian Party. But there was a large portion of the Ron Paul revolution that did not come to the, the Libertarian Party. Some stayed with the Republican Party, some went independent, some just are completely poli- politically ap- apathetic at this point. Um, and and I, you know, I stated that part of my goal is to revive that Ron Paul revolution and bring them home to the Libertarian Party where we can fight together on a united front for, for liberty. So, yeah, I think uh, 
I think it's brought a lot of people to the party, but I think there's a lot more out there that we should have fighting our, our battles with us. So. All right. And finally, finally, Alicia, your thoughts on the Ron Paul movement as it pertains to the Libertarian Party? Well, I uh, have something that I've been saying a lot lately, which is I don't really care the path that you take to get to liberty. So as long so long as you get there, Um you know, I, I obviously paid attention to the Ron Paul uh, campaigns, both uh, 08 and 12 as well, um, had friends who were involved in them. That's not how I came to the Libertarian Party, but it, it was good to see people who were excited about liberty. But And a lot of those people, while they came to the – some people came to the Libertarian Party, but a lot of them stayed with the Republican Party. Um, I don't know that there's anything specific that we need to do with respect to Ron Paul uh, – or people who were our fans of Ron Paul with within the Libertarian Party or the National Party, I I don't care how they got here so long as they're here. And let's focus on the future. We have lots of exciting candidates. We have lots of exciting initiatives and opportunities. Um, and uh, Dr. Paul is is retired, and and I, he's worthy of our respect. But uh, you know, we've got to have our eyes towards the future now. All right. Uh, we're going to shift over to kind of back to some strategy questions. Now, uh, technically, he's not a patron. He's actually one of my co-hosts here at Lions of Liberty. John Odermatt has a question. Um, he wants to know, which is the best method to growing the party uh, when it comes to candidates? Is it better to run 2,000 or so decent candidates or to run 200 highly qualified candidates who are you know, either great communicators or successful businessmen or what have you, and to really ar- rally around those candidates themselves? Is there one strategy or the other of those two that you see as being better? Uh, Again, I'll start with Nick here since he has experience in this area. So since I've been involved in the party, the argument over running a few candidates that we support heavily and are, uh, you know, carefully recruited for being the best possible shot and running candidates up and down the ballot has been a debate. And since I've been in the party and been involved in state leadership, my answer to that question has been yes, that we should do that. We should do both of those things. And the reason is um, best shown by looking at what happens in special elections. Let's take Allison Foxall in Florida, for example. She was running in a state house special election in Florida. She raised, by an order of magnitude, the record for a libertarian state house candidate. She raised over $40,000 for that race. And she got absolutely nuked by over a million dollars from the two old parties that were thrown into though that Florida state house special election. And she got results that were within bounds of what libertarians normally get in the state house race. So the good news in that is that our candidates are raising way more money than they ever used to raise. And so we're growing as a party, but that's what happens if you follow this idea that we can pick one race, we can pick a Congress race, or we can pick a state house race, or we can pick 50 races or 20 races or whatever, and throw all of our resources behind them. Every dollar that the Libertarian Party and its supporters have is insignificant compared to the focused effort of the Republican or Democratic parties. Uh, We saw that in the special election here in in Congressional District 8 in Arizona. You know, the Republicans held it, even though they lost about 15 points off of what the president got, but that required the NRCC to throw a million dollars into the race because it was a special. They don't have $435 million. 
And so by us going out and contesting as many races as possible in the midterm elections, we engage in asymmetric warfare. When I spend $1,000 on a libertarian campaign, they have to spend $10,000 or $100,000 to deal with that. And we bleed them out. And then we also have people who are specifically tasked with and working on individual lower level campaigns where we have the best opportunity to win and quietly telling our donors and our activists, these are the places where we can break through. These are the places where we can win. But those 20 or 50 or however many races you pick to be the strategic priorities, they will get decimated if you don't have an army of candidates also running. All right, Alisa, your thoughts? Uh, My thoughts actually track Nick's pretty closely. Uh, I would say we need to do both. I think that we should be running the 2,000 candidates. Um, I also think that not 200, but a dozen very carefully selected races that we are going to try to win. Uh, One of the uh, problems, I think, amongst the libertarian ranks is that we have this assumption that we cannot and will not win. And so we get disheartened or we don't try as hard as we could uh, in certain races. And and that's not every race, but I think that that's uh, happening a lot across the board. Uh, Paper candidates are useful uh, not only because they bleed out the the other opponents, but they're useful for, I guess, branding is the way to put it. I, when people see libertarians on the ballot, we have a presence. Um, they're useful for helping us get mentioned. And it's also good for us to teach people and for us to be learning how to run campaigns, even campaigns that we can't win, and for us to be developing talent who, you know, they might not be good in this race uh, to win. They might not be able to have a chance to win in this race, but after a couple of uh, goes at campaigning, they learn how to do it. And now we can find them a good race to plug them into. Plus, there's also opportunities that come up every time. You know, uh, not all opportunities are predictable in advance. Yes, there are special elections. There are uncontested seats that we can look at. But occasionally, a major party candidate blows up. He has like a sex scandal or something like that. And if we have somebody already in that race, then we can immediately pivot and put resources behind that candidate to see if we can get a win there and just take advantage of that situation. So uh, just to to reiterate, I think we do need to have uh, the 2000 candidates as one of our goals. And that, but I think equally important is that we need to have a dozen races where we're putting all men, all money on deck to get those people elected and let's really start winning some seats. All right, Joshua. And uh, what is your opinion on this? This, uh, I guess, focusing on a few races versus sending a lot of candidates out there sort of a debate that goes on. It's a great question. I I still, I believe that the 2000 candidates goal was a very, very noble goal. I do believe it was far too big for us. uh, Seeing as we barely have enough support to help with 200 candidates across the country. Um, I think that our current candidate support specialists are overworked, uh, completely overworked. And, and uh, I've had conversations with a couple, one of them. um, And, and you can, you can visibly see the, you know, the tiredness from being overworked. Uh, I, I, as chair, I don't think we're going to stop people from running, and I think we should encourage people to run as much as as much as we possibly can. But I do think that we need solid candidates who are going to go out and put the Libertarian Party on the map. You know, I think we're we're working with like around twenty thousand members of the, the National Party right now. Um, we've got like eight hundred candidates running across the country. Um, you know, we we could talk about some of these special elections. You know, Alicia Dern uh, 
brings up a good point. You know, if some kind of sex scandal happens, you know, especially like the Ron Bishop campaign down in Alabama, where there was a, a sex scandal with Roy Moore, um, you know, we had a writing candidate down there running that I believe could have got us ballot access. Um, and and he, you know, there was a record number of write-in votes, and uh, the state turned blue for the first time ever with Doug Jones. And um, I don't know that we put any resources into that. We, you know, we did a we did a meme and a reminder to vote email. And and I think you know we can do better for some of these good candidates like that. You know, he had to be a writing candidate because they don't have ballot access there. So um, yeah, I think it's a it's an ambitious goal. It's a little too ambitious for the party to run two thousand candidates. I really think that you know people are overworked and tired, and and we need to focus on um, candidates that are going to win and and get them into office and really start to affect public policy. All right. Uh, Nick or Alicia, do you have any response to you know, anything Joshua said? Only with regard to Ron Bishop. Uh, as a write-in candidate, he would not be able to get us any kind of ballot access um, if he had done well. And again, that's the thing strategically about these special elections that a lot of people who are not involved in politics regularly don't understand is, you know, this is basic Sun Tzu art of war stuff. If you fight on ground that your enemy chooses for you, you will guarantee a loss. The uh, the amount of Republican and Democratic money in that election for Roy Moore's seat was or um, the session seat, the special election for it was so ridiculous that there was never a chance that a libertarian candidate could break through. And part of being a chair is being a good steward of party resources and not burning out your activists and your donors by deciding that you're going to make heroic efforts in losing causes. Because that does not lead to long-term success. Would it have been a, her- a heroic cause for you know you and maybe one other person to go into Alabama and and call you know call a press conference or let the people of Alabama know that there there was another choice they didn't have to vote for Roy Moore or Doug Jones? I mean, is that something that that you could have done? Is that a serious question? Yeah. Okay, then I'll give you a serious answer. It's a national political party with an entire country, and you can't run around from state to state as a national chair, like a child playing soccer, running after the ball. You have to learn where your position is and do the things that are best for the overall organization and the mission. You can't be, uh, you know, kind of running from spotlight to spotlight because then you're not executing your plan. You're executing the plan of your opponents. There's a special election, right? Was there a bunch of other spotlights you had to run around and take part in during that the election or we can't win a senate race it's not it, i don't think it's about winning it's about the the nation's media had descended on the state of alabama because of roy moore and we we didn't take part in that media whatsoever we did nothing it was a ball drop uh, i guess I'll, I'll follow up and just ask joshua what what would you have done if you were the libertarian chairman or would you be flying physically to these locations when you see a special election would you just you know stop whatever it is you're doing whether it's in your your day job or your your role as a chairmanship just to go do that in in that specific occasion i would have called i would have got a hold of the the libertarian part of alabama and asked them if i could come there because you want to make sure that you're you're you know you're not jumping in front of the state party i would have asked them if i could come there and i would have found ways to get us into the media absolutely it was a huge media opportunity for us for us there all right do alicia or nick want to respond to that at all before we move on one thing I'll oh. say that I, I do think there was a media opportunity there. I do not know and therefore will not presume to assume that I know what the LNC did to take advantage of that. Because I will tell you one thing, we get media blackouts. And to act like that's not true, I think I think is naive. It doesn't matter how big a story is, we will be suppressed. 
And so I, our, one of our main strategies, we have to have a media strategy that isn't just dependent upon getting invited onto CNN. Um, I'm not sure, although I think it's an interesting idea, but I'm not sure that a press conference would be attended by the mainstream media. My name is Dale Kearns, and I'm running for United States Senate in Pennsylvania as a libertarian. I'm a concerned citizen who has had enough. I work as a project manager for an electrical contractor in southeastern Pennsylvania. There I manage large commercial and industrial projects. I'm a husband and a father of two energetic little girls. I'm running to advocate for a society where my girls have more liberty, not less. Will you support our campaign? Unlike my competitors, I'm not a career politician. I don't have millionaire and billionaire donors. I'm running for Senate in Pennsylvania because I want to take the message to Washington that we want government out of our lives. Will you let me be your voice? Let me be the voice that says we will not walk quietly down the road to serfdom. The voice that says we need free market solutions. The voice that says we need to end the failed war on drugs. The voice who will fight for the forgotten man, non-violent offenders wasting away in prison, and addicts who are afraid to speak up and seek the help they need. We are seeking members for our campaign team. I encourage you to apply. We need donations to help us spread the message of liberty across the state. We can go on hoping for liberty to happen, or we can fight together. I hope you choose the latter and join me today. Find out more at DaleKearns.com. Paid for by Dale Kearns for Office. All right, moving on. And, you know, I've been pretty much been playing good cop here uh, so far. Uh, it's kind of what I do. I'm a nice guy. But my listeners do want me to play a little bad cop here. So uh, we're going to take a little verge into uh, some criticisms. And I have a question for each of you. And basically, I, I have just summed up a lot of the criticisms I have seen. Um, I'm sure that anything you hear me say now is not going to be anything you haven't heard before. Um, but we're going to do one diff- sort of a different question for each of you here. Um, and I will just start with Nick. Uh, Nick, you know, many have been critical of, I guess, what you might call some of your spats with other names in the libertarian movement. Uh, you got into it a bit with Tom Woods on Twitter last year. Uh, and I guess uh, I guess the question that I hear a lot is, how would you respond to people who are, who are say, fans of Tom Woods, uh, fans of the Mises Institute? Is the Libertarian Party under your leadership a welcome place for them? Absolutely. The Libertarian Party under my leadership is a welcome place for anybody who wants a world set free in their lifetime. If you want to be involved in politics, As a libertarian, there is one and only one vehicle for you, and it's the Libertarian Party. Every think tank, be it Mises or Cato or anyone else, every nonprofit, none of them get to put candidates up on the stage. None of them get their results measured in vote totals. None of them gets to move public policy in the way that libertarian candidates are able to do. So the Libertarian Party is absolutely open to anyone that agrees that they want to get a world set free in their lifetime. You know, one of the things that I think is dangerous for a party is to try and somehow cater to people who do not vote or who are not interested in electoral politics. You know, as I mentioned before, Ron Paul hasn't supported a single libertarian candidate since himself in 1988. To my knowledge, Tom Woods has never supported a libertarian candidate ever in his life. So, If we want to make a political party more attractive to people who, for whatever reason, whether it's good or bad or correct philosophically, just don't do politics or aren't interested in doing politics, I think that that moves us away from our core mission. You know, I think Tom Woods' fans vastly overestimate how much I care about Tom Woods. 
because I haven't mentioned him since whatever spat you're referring to uh, over a year ago, I think now, whereas he seems to mention me on a regular basis because it must burn or something. Um, so I don't want to be the arbiter of who can be a libertarian in the libertarian party. I believe in a big tent. And what I get concerned about is I see some of my opponents who do seem to want to be an arbiter of who can be a libertarian, who do want to say so-and-so is not libertarian enough or so-and-so's views are so outside of our party that we can't let them in the door or so-and-so said nice things about Hillary Clinton. And so he can't be you know, considered by the delegates as a potential candidate. That kind of exclusionary stuff, I think, is much more damaging to a political party when you're trying to exclude people who are trying to be involved in politics. All right, we're going to move on to, uh, I'm going to go over to Joshua now for this one. And I, I think by far the biggest criticism I've seen of you out there, um, you know, from your fellow opponents as well as other people are, is basically just your lack of experience, both um, when it comes to the dealing with the national party and dealing in sort of a, an administrative role at, that, that the level that the, the chairman takes. Now you're going into this role with, with this lack of experience. And a lot of people have even say, said that you're basically naive about your ability to implement a lot of these big visions that you've talked about and a lot of the plans that you have. And obviously you're very enthusiastic about that, but not everybody out there seems to think that you actually can execute everything that you want and that you have the ability to serve as that sort of arbiter um, as, as the, the chair um, sort of needs to do. So what would you say to people that just don't think that think that either A, you're not experienced or ready enough or that you're a naive thinking that you can sort of ed- execute this vision that you have? Yeah, absolutely. And so I have made it no secret that I am less experienced than than Nick Sarwark. I, I know that and I, it's something that I, I carry around with me, but it's it's only created this need for me to learn faster and, and meet the delegates to find out what they want. You know, like I said earlier, I, you know, I leave for Ohio here at midnight and uh, will be my 16th state that I've been to in the last 18 weeks. You know, I've shaken over a thousand hands of the hardest working people in this party are ground level activists. I've heard what they want, what they want to see, what they want national to do. So I have no fear um, taking taking the reins and and knowing that these are the things that the delegates are going to want to see, these are the things that the membership is going to want to see, and these are the things that they believe are going to make us a more successful party and and push us into a direction to have a world set free in our lifetime, like Nick says. I you know and so you know experience be damned. I, I I'm not worried. You know I've knocked down a lot of goals, a lot of things. People said that they didn't think I could do. You know they they said I wouldn't be able to chair a big meeting. I went into the Oklahoma State Convention and I chaired their their convention with 15 minutes notice. You know, I'm I'm not worried because I understand that my whole campaign has been run listening to the people that are the most important in this party. And and I know that I can get these things done with their help. All right. And uh, the last one I have is for Alicia. And, um, you know, I'm sure you've heard this one before, Alicia. You know, it's no secret that many people were disappointed and critical of uh, your last minute endorsement of Governor Bill Weld at the 2016 Libertarian National Convention. Uh, this is a criticism I've, I know I've seen a lot out there. And uh, I guess the question there is, do you regret that decision to endorse Governor Weld? And uh, how would you respond to those out there who are critical of that move? Uh, no, I do not regret it. Um, but I, I am thoughtful about it. I, you know, I, everything that I do with respect to the Libertarian Party is 
for the growth of libertarian ideals and in this country. It is for us to have more freedom, not just in this country, but in this world. Everything I do is calculated towards that. And when, uh, when uh, that situation came up and it became obvious to me that uh, we were going to be excluded from the polling unless Governor Weld was on the ticket. And uh, I believe that that information that I got was true information from the source I had. Uh, I couldn't be the person to stand in the way of our presidential ticket possibly being able to get into the debates and possibly being able to make uh, get us to the point where we had minor or even major party status because that would have made, gave it, it would have given us millions of dollars for our next race first of all and secondly uh, it would have helped with additionally with more ballot access uh, because we spend uh, every four years uh, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars getting ourselves onto the ballot, which puts us at a, a serious disadvantage to the other parties. And, you know, one of the things I think you need to remember about me and my background is that I spent three years litigating against the Commission on Presidential Debates and saw on a very deep level how uh, disadvantaged we really are. I mean, they have used all the laws in their favor. Uh, I, you know, I say they're like evil geniuses because the way that they've been set up is very clever. You know, they're private and yet they act publicly. They're they're a nonprofit and yet they act politically. And and uh, every challenge that they've had uh, has they've been able to withstand it. And so we are being excluded. And and I saw the opportunity uh, to potentially break that. Even and and you know, I will tell you, um, I knew even at the time that it was a long shot. You know, it's a sort of a hail mary for the for the party that we're going to break the commission on presidential debates. I'd much rather have a strategy that involves going around them instead of trying to dominate them, because I don't think that we're going to be able to win on their playing field. But that said, um, that was the, the, the gamble that I asked the delegation to make. Ultimately the delegation makes the decision. Um, they did. And, uh, and then we had the results. I was a little disappointed with the results that we had in 2016. I really was hoping that we would, uh, do much better than the 3% we got. Uh, but that 3% is still uh, an order of magnitude better than any previous vote totals we've had. Uh, the money we raised was still an order of magnitude greater than any other money that we've raised. Uh, it gave us some money at national to do some things, some, some of which is bearing fruit now in the hiring of uh, new staff. So, you know, we got to look at what we what we did, be grateful for the good that came out of it, and then keep marching forward. So when I say I don't regret it, it's because I made a bold decision. Uh, the delegation made that same bold decision, and we tried something. If it didn't work as well as we'd like it to, then let's try something different next time. But we're never going to win unless we make bold decisions. All right. Well, you all took the heat, and nobody ran out of the kitchen, so that's good. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to kind of wind, wind down here and, uh, but I think I have a couple good questions here that'll help us sort of, uh, get into your closing statements here. And, uh, one question that I, I really liked that, uh, Ben, Ben Pangi asked, and he wants to know if you knew you were not going to win the chairmanship, who would you prefer to take the helm of the other two people on the show right now? So, uh, we'll start with Nick. That might be harder than my critical question. <laughs> so like the presidential, nomination, I trust the delegates. So if the delegates decide not to choose me, I'm sure that the delegates will pick who they think would be best. Right, so you're not going to commit. <laughs> politician -y. All right. 
we will move on. Joshua, do you have a choice? If it's, if it's not going to be you, would you prefer Nick or Alicia? Oh, or that's, do you a, wanna... <laughs> that's a rough question, guys. That is a rough question. I, I think I think well, that's why I like sheer, it. <laughs> sheer experience, I would be voting for Nicholas, I believe. Sheer experience. All right. Uh, and Alicia, I'll let you give, give a crack at that one, too. Um, you know what? I'm going to take the politician's answer also and say I trust the delegates. And you know what? I do know who I would vote for if I uh, fell off the ballot, uh, at least right now. But I'll tell you something else. I always make up my mind finally after I'm at the convention and I speak to everybody and I look them in the eye. And I wouldn't expect the delegation to do any differently than me. So I'll make up my mind uh, at the time. All righty. Uh, and lastly, uh, this, I'm going to basically give you your closing statement right now, but I, I, I kind of want to incorporate this question into it. And this one comes from Lance Psycho, because I think this will be a, a good way to help sum up uh, sort of your visions for the party. Uh, and Lance asks, what is the biggest impact the Libertarian Party can have in the 2018 uh, election cycle, knowing that we do not win major offices? And maybe you'll disagree with that. But uh, is, is the existence of the party merely to point out the hypocrisy of both major parties and be a sounding board for reason and common sense? Or can it actually make uh, I guess uh, what you might call, um, you know, political political victories uh, by the the typical metrics. Uh, so uh, I will start with Joshua on this one, and you can kind of make this your your entire closing statement. If, if okay, yeah, right. absolutely. Well, I, I definitely think the biggest impact we're going to see in the 2008 midterms is going to be getting um, Laura Ebke, Brandon Finney, and Caleb Dyer. Uh, Reelected, I think those will be really huge. It'll show a lot of people that you can be reelected as a libertarian. And so if you're in hiding, come on out and it's uh, it's time to come be a libertarian and do libertarian stuff. So I think that's really, really big for us. Uh, in closing, I just want to I just want to say, you know, I I have laid out a vision here. I've laid out a blueprint. I, I don't want to be the iron fist that Nick will have you believe I, I want to be or Alicia will have you believe that I want to be. I just want to do what the delegates and the members of this party want want national to do. I, I want to help create a successful party that is going to get people into positions that that can affect change, that can kill bad legislation, that can move that liberty needle for the for the rest of the country because they depend they're depending on us. You know, we got over four million votes in in the uh, 2016 presidential election. So there's people out there. You know, they're looking at us. They're watching us. They're seeing what we're going to do next. They're watching the messaging. They're watching the steps we take to become a viable party in the, in the United States. And I believe that I have what it takes to uh, to get that done. So I hope everyone will vote for me in uh, NOLA. All right, and uh, we'll move on to Alicia. Uh, how do you, what is your basically your vision for the Libertarian Party and what kind of impact it could have, uh, particularly if it were under your chairmanship? Well, uh, I do not believe that we are here just to keep the other parties honest. I don't even think that that is possible. Uh, and we do, we have uh, first past the post voting, and as a result, we don't really have a strong impact on policy for elected officials. We, uh, we might be able to do some things with, uh, with the legislatures as far as referendums or uh, lobbying efforts, but uh, it, I am not here because I think that the party should just, you know, be trying to educate people and uh, trying to be a conscience of, of the American people to our politicians, because I don't think that'll work. I'm here because I want to see the Libertarian Party supplant one of the other political parties. I want there to be a clear choice between statism and liberty. Because if we start having choices like that, and the liberty choice starts being the one that the American people pick, it's just going to take a couple of victories uh, for for the American people to say, wow, everything is so much better 
with the libertarian answer that we want to go that way all the time. It's so much better than the status answer. It's so much better for us not to have war. It's so much better for us to treat drugs as a health problem instead of having a drug war. It is so much better for us to reduce uh, regulations and tax burdens and to let our small businesses thrive. We do those things. The American, we will thrive as a country and libertarianism will have a renaissance in this country uh, and, and hopefully worldwide. So I, I see uh, in a short term over the next couple of years, my goal would be to get uh, a dozen elected libertarians in partisan offices so that we can prove that we are the place to be for uh, the Republicans who see their party falling apart or the Democrats who see their party going too far uh, towards statism and uh, central authority. And, uh, and giving them a home, but they are not going to come. They're, they're risk adverse. They're not going to come to our party uh, unless they believe that they can win. Uh, so that's what I want to see is, is uh, elected officials. And I, and I want to see the growth. And that's going to result in all the other things we like. It's going to result in more members, more uh, excited activists, more money, more volunteers uh, and more uh, other uh, entry level candidates. All right. And uh, lastly, we will close with the words of Nicholas Sarwark. Did I say that right again? See, I already forgot what it was from the, the right way from the beginning of the show. But um, those two syllable names sure are tricky. But Nick, uh, what is a, basically your vision of, of the impact that the Libertarian Party can have in the 2018 election cycle? And why are you the one to lead that vision as the chairman? So um, one thing I want to point out just as a threshold matter we have over 150 elected libertarians around the country who are already in office, who are already making public policy. And we aim in the 2018 midterm elections to add to that number substantially and have it be higher level races. We are doing that strategic stuff that's necessary to provide resources to people who have the best chance of success. In addition to providing those basic tools to that army of, you know, we're hoping for 2000 candidates around the country the the key to being a libertarian party is recognizing that this is a long-term goal. This is a vision for a world set free in our lifetime. It's the idea that you and I can grow up, can have our children rather, grow up in a country that's freer than the one we grew up in. And that's not something that gets done in 2018 or 2020 or 2022. That is a long-term mission. And what we can do is take advantage of the opportunities that we've been given. Gary Johnson and Bill Weld tripled previous records for what is possible for a libertarian candidate. I talk to major donors all the time from the two old parties who tell me that they cannot be believed anymore, that Republicans and Democrats are both lying about what they do and what they believe in. And you can just look at the, uh, the Gina Haskell um, Senate confirmation vote to see both Republicans and Democrats lining up to nominate and confirm a person to head the CIA who destroyed evidence of torture in violation of both the Geneva Conventions and American law. So we have an opportunity here. A midterm election is where people switch away from the party in power to the, the other old party in that kind of back and forth pendulum. We have an opportunity to put our candidates out there to present a 
a coherent alternative that actually means something to the American people. And how we do in the 2018 midterm elections determines who cares to seek our nomination in 2020. There are people around the country who like to talk about, you know, I want Penn Jillette to run for office. I want Drew Carey to run for president. I want John Stossel. You know, we all have our favorite people who we'd like to run. But the truth is that most of those people have jobs and they're not interested in doing it. So we don't get to go out chasing our preferred candidate. What we get to do and what we're able to do as libertarians is build the party into an attractive vehicle where more and better people want to come over. We work for the reelection of people like Ebke and Finney and Dyer so that people who do come over feel like they'll be supported. You know, we, we support people like Aubrey Dunn, who's running for Senate in New Mexico, who is currently an elected statewide land commissioner. We do the things necessary to grow and to move forward and not to squander the resources and the energy of our membership. You know, I don't, I, I said in 2014 and I said it in 2016, and I'll say it again in 2018, the chairman is the least important person in the Libertarian Party because all politics is local and everybody who's out on the ground running for office or working a booth at the fair or signing up new members, that's where the real power of this party comes from. But it needs leadership. It needs somebody who can be that cheerleader, who can support candidates who can make those strategic choices and who has the perspective to know what the right move is, even when it's tempting to do something like jump on a plane and fly to Alabama for a press conference for a write-in candidate in a special election where you're outspent 300 to one. It's hard to do this job. I appreciate the delegates putting their trust in me to do the job. I am confident that the results that we've had from 2014 to today in membership, in candidates, in revenue, in vote totals, in voter registration, in media coverage, in national major media coverage, presents a record that I think most delegates in New Orleans would like to continue with. And so I would be honored if the delegates would give me a third term as national committee chair. All right. Well, I just want to uh, close up by thanking you all for taking the time out of your uh, very busy schedules. I know all of you are, are pulled in many different directions right now, so I really appreciate you uh, taking the time on to have this conversation. And uh, I know that uh, fans of the show and people have been asking me to do this for a long time, so I know they're all going to appreciate it as well. So just want to wish all of you the, the best of luck in the next five or six weeks until the convention. And uh, I personally look forward to uh, meeting you all there. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. All right, kitty cats, I hope you enjoyed that at times lively debate between three of the leading candidates for the chairmanship of the Libertarian National Committee. Really excited to be going to New Orleans along with my colleague, John Odermatt, to uh, see these proceedings live, to give you coverage of the event, to do a lot of interviews on the ground. And we're doing that all thanks again to our members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, our supporters on Patreon. Again, you can check that out at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. It's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out in person and to uh, bring you our version of events as, as they unfold. So uh, please do check that out. Now, if you want to come and just join the conversation, you can head over to our 
little group on Facebook, the Lions of Liberty Forum, that has been um, hailed by many as one of the the better groups online out there for uh, some great conversation about the ideas of liberty that hopefully don't scare you away. And of course, we also have the secret Lions of Liberty Pride Facebook group. That's where you get to submit questions and interact with the hosts a little bit more personally uh, as the people who submitted questions for today's guests got to do. So to do that, you only have to join over at Patreon again, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Guys, it's been a blast bringing you this debate today. It's something I've really been looking forward to for a long time. We will see how things play play out in about uh, five or six weeks in New Orleans. Again, don't forget to tune in this coming Wednesday to Brian McWilliams on his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty with Electric Liberty Land and wrap things up on Friday with John Odermatt's hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. Until next time, kids, live long and live free. This is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll.